0: Oh, sorry. No no question. Sorry. No, no. He's calling someone else. All right. I'm going to ask Jonathan then. Jonathan, well, how would you define expository preaching?
1: How did you define it?
2: Um, um, he said you... Yeah, derives the content and yeah, structure Yeah, it's, it's a sermon from the where text. the content and the structure is determined by the text itself.
1: So. Yeah, I mean, I think that's pretty good.
2: Yeah, but I would add, yeah, but, and I would add that um, I had this in my notes, I didn't say it. Um, but biblical preaching, I mean, if if so, if you, if you're taking your congregation through the doctrine of the Trinity and it's just the text has to say king. So what you say as you're proof texting, the text has to say that in the context. So the God. context is always king because God put words together in a specific order to produce a specific meaning. So you have to allow the text to say what it says and then that's what you preach.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the, way, the way Mark has always defined it is the point of the biblical text is the point of your sermon and then I, I would add applied to life today. So it's easy to open the Bible and preach a, a from the text, you know, approach the throne of grace with confidence and I want, I want to preach about, say, prayer How do we pray? We pray with confidence. Approach the throne of grace with confidence, says Hebrews 4. Well, Hebrews 4 is about the gospel. The fact that we can approach the throne of grace in the gospel with confidence. Not about prayer. But if I'm preaching it about prayer, I'm going to preach an application of the text, but I'm twisting it. Not twisting. I mean, I'm not preaching the main point. And so I think think in expositional preaching, what you want to do is just this ordinary course of your preaching, like this week we're preaching Mark one and whatever the point of Mark one is, and next week Mark two, and whatever the point of Mark two is, and three, and then four, and so forth, right? Because then you're gonna preach things that you probably wouldn't think to preach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another right. way of saying what Bobby said.
0: Great, question right over here. Yeah, I got Hand up high so they can find you. Anyone else after? Okay, just keep your hands up. They're gonna, we have three microphones okay. that are gonna come around. Yeah, would you Name guys- and church. Yeah, my name is Clint Maurice. I'm from Grace Community Church in Sun Valley. Uh, would you take us into um, what that, that boxing with God in the closet looks mm-hmm. like personally for you? Like, what is, what is that coming to God on your knees, that prayer and that pleading with him as, as a preacher? Just take us into your life and what that looks like.
2: Yeah, th- I think that's a great question. I um... I jokingly said how my co-pastor and I, at the various times we were preaching, we just, we aren't clear as to what it is um, the text is saying and, and what, you know, so, um, you know, in my, how I prepare sermons, I'll start off early in the week and I, I like to diagram passages and so I'm wrestling through syntax and grammar and things like that and, um, and so I'll see a structure there and I'm be I feel pretty clear that this is the main point of the text but I don't want to be a historical descriptionist I don't want to simply just say this is what Paul told Timothy I'm preaching to a congregation in front of me so why, how do I take what God has said to Timothy and, and preach that to my congregation here and, and I'm just pleading with God to show me that so I, I want to take the, the truth that's there and be able to preach it in the application to my congregation so what Ezra does he takes, he's, he's expositing for them the law of Moses, but not the way Moses did in Deuteronomy. Um, he's taking situations that they were in, like the marriage crisis that they had with the pagans, and he's got to apply and take the principles about marriage and apply it in a new context. And so when you're preaching the word of God, you, you you have you have to have some understanding like the men of Issachar and God gives that. So you're totally dependent upon God for the whole process. You're really praying and, and God doesn't give those answers like in five minutes sometimes. You know, you're studying and praying and pleading for like a day, two days, three days, <laughs> and then it's like it 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 comes it God illuminates my mind through the text and it's clear what He wants me to preach.
1: And brother, just a personal word of thanks for your sermon. That's so encouraging and heartening. You know, you hear sermons like that, and you think, why do I depend on myself, not just depend on the power of this word? Like, oh my gosh, I want to do that. Mm, You know, and it's like we we hear that, and it's like you're reminded of what you always meant to do, but then keep forgetting to do every Mm. week that passes. Mm. So thank you, brother, for hardening us and reminding us of what's so clear, the the Ezra text, that Nehemiah text, and then the 2 Corinthians, just so clear. Our task is Mm. so clear. Thank Mm. you for that.
0: You're
2: welcome, brother. Thanks.
0: Uh, 2 Timothy 2.7 says it similarly. Uh, consider what I say, Paul tells Timothy, consider what I say, think about what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's There's it. the Lord giving it, but we need to consider it and, and then rest on, on God eventually. Uh, giving Before we go to Robert over here, just on, on what you said, Jonathan. Any,
1: can I actually, can I add one more thing? Sure. One, one thing, risk that you could fall into that I fell into on that, and this just popped in my head is thinking when you're looking at a text, you got to come with some new insight. Yeah. I, was, I was the interim pastor of a church full of seminarians. And I'm like, they've heard it all before. Okay, mm. what, what can I say mm. that's really going to grab them from that text and be a new angle on the thing? And that got me to actually sort of distort the text a little bit because I was mm. trying to do a new thing mm-hmm. and not... Just preach the plain point of the passage, even if it was the same point as last
2: week. Amen.
0: Uh, Very practically, how do you, you you know, we so regularly rely on ourselves. You were talking about that. Just, you hear it and we just do it. How do you, any encouragements on how to rely, like self-consciously rely on God and not on ourselves? Any practices either of you guys do?
2: Oh, wow. I pray like crazy when I have to preach. (laughs) I mean, I'm praying while I'm sitting in the pew. I'm, I'm praying while I'm preaching. I'm just, I'm really just pleading for God to help. Uh, so I just remind myself how completely inadequate I am, and I just really pray, God, you know, to help all the time. When, when I'm preaching, before I'm preaching, when I'm prepping, I'm just specifically praying that, God, please help me. Yeah. Uh,
1: repeat, i repeat, I'll say the same thing prayer, but then I'll just repeat what I said before which is a firm commitment to being boring if that's what it takes mm. just to rely on the power of that text and not that illustration or that story or whatever the thing is that I think oh that's going to grip them like no mm. and being willing to kill the story kill the illustration mm. kill mm. whatever it is if it doesn't precisely illustrate the text yeah, yeah. um and
2: good.
1: not letting me get in the way of the text yeah.
0: The way i'd answer it, i'm just gonna i'll just refer to it look up john piper aptat a-p-t-a-t he has a simple method there i've just been following that it's helpful robert what's to say what it is apt, uh, admit admit that you need god's help that you can't do it on your own strength P is pray and ask for God's help. T is trust, so trust a specific promise. The one I've been using lately is 2 Corinthians 9.8. And our God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. So the good work of preparing, the good work of preaching, the good work of praying, whatever good work, just Lord, you're able to make every grace. So trusting a specific promise and then acting, doing the thing, whether it's studying or preaching or counseling or evangelizing, And then at the end of it, thank God for the grace he gave you to do it. It's just a practical way of trying to be dependent on God. Robert?
3: That's great. Thank you, brothers. Thanks for the encouragement. It really ministered to me. Uh, As Christian pastors, we preach the gospel. Uh, And you guys have talked about textual fidelity and making sure we focus on what the text actually says. But I, I think for most of us, if not all of us, we want to include the gospel in our Presentation of our sermon, right? You know, I, the the gospel not in every text, but I think Mark said you can get there from any text. Mm, can you speak to how um, how you ask for the Lord's help in implementing that and where that fits in the message?
2: Yeah, um, that's that's a great point. I for years I was guilty of just being in uh, like uh, probably um, an Old Testament. Um, scribe if I preached the Old Testament I, I really didn't synagogue yeah synagogue sermons yeah I probably was guilty of that I, I mean I love the Old Testament so uh Anthony always pushed me my co would push me and uh yeah and just I, I think it's just what you said what Mark's quote I think is really helpful at the end of the day wherever you lead people in the text what do they need they need Jesus and what he's done and the grace that he's afforded them through his death and resurrection so I think we do have to find a way and to to make that hard turn to point people to jesus so they're not stuck okay that's the truth and let me just muscle it up and do it that there's a savior for me who saved me from my sin and who sanctifies me even now so i just think you make that hard turn where you can in your sermon
1: yeah, I don't think the gospel needs to sound the same in every sermon. There's different metaphors for the gospel, and you can use different metaphors, whether adoption or reconciliation or justification. And so, you know, your text is going to lend itself to one set of metaphors or, or another. And I actually think some variety from week to week in that can can be useful. You might lean more into forgiveness or more into being made a people or lean more into, you know, bearing of wrath, depending on the, the text, and it'll help you with that. I, I think... Uh, Usually I'll get there in one of several ways. Is there a type in the text? Uh, Kind of a typological path? Is there a a gospel theme? Maybe it's just the theme of sin. And I'll use that to expand on something. Or the theme of redemption. I'll use that to expand the theme. Uh, Something in the storyline itself. Does the storyline somehow take me there? So... There'll be different ways of getting there, but I'm always looking for a way so that a non-Christian who is there can be saved on any given Sunday, and so that any of the saints there would be refreshed in the gospel. Right? So it's just it's you know Bobby used the said he used to preach those sermons every week. I find it's easy for me to leave it out. Not every week, many weeks. So every week I am always asking myself, okay, is the gospel? Have I made the gospel clear? And if not. What's a sort of natural, organic, not forced on, stapled at the end sort of way? A natural way in one of those methods that I just described to be sure it's there. And it, it's just a, it's a mental register, a mental check I do every Sunday. I preach.
0: Great. Does someone else have a mic? There's a hand over there. Oh, wait, there's a microphone here. Go ahead. Name and church. Yeah.
1: Grace Church, Monterey Bay. Jordan. Okay.
0: And uh, I, I was
1: curious, um, it, it's on uh so brian chapel focuses on the fallen condition focus in his Mm. book christ-centered preaching and you did a great job of that tonight Mm. and uh, i just i I was my question was um how how do you do that for each passage without sounding too repetitive and then um what what's kind of your practice in thinking through how do i present the condition for my congregation so that way it's applicable here in this case an instance so like what's kind of your homiletical process there are you guys familiar with
0: fallen condition focus, either of you? Brian Chapel? Yeah, sure, yeah. Sure, you want to answer it?
1: I, I mean, I don't really, I don't think about it like that, though. Mm-hmm. I don't quite.
0: Yeah, so that was kind
1: of my question. So is that. Yeah. But that, that's one way to get there. Mm-hmm. What, what's, what's the fallen condition being illuminated in this text? Sure, that's one way. But another way to get there is like, what is this text teaching me about God? Mm-hmm. Right? So the transcendent focus, whatever you call that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but that's one method I would use potentially to get to the gospel. What is being illumined in our hearts and lives that warrant God's wrath.
0: Yeah. The Fallen condition Focus from Christ-Centered Preaching by Brian Chapel, where he's getting that from 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17, that all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, reproving, correcting, training righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So if it, if it will complete the person, then what, is, what are they lacking in their fall that this text is completing by God's grace, just to give you guys context for the question. Um, There was another hand over here. Okay, go ahead. Name and church.
2: Tommy. Tom Beasley from Spirit Community Church. Um, uh, Bobby, the letter that you read at the end of your message was super powerful for me, and something that you said in there struck chord. To what degree have you found yourself in need of adjusting your life in the area of pastoral counseling in order to accomplish the goals that you set for yourself in expository preaching? Uh, in other words logistically practically how does that do you ever find yourself because i do uh, i share the commitment to expository preaching trying to sometimes manage the tension between the need to be available for my congregation and pre and in pastoral counseling which is a time drain let's be mm-hmm. honest yeah um, and uh, so how, how have you worked with that how has that been a part of your experience yeah great question i, I would say the illustration is pretty hyperbolic and so it's it's kind of pretty it's given this this to make the point it has to the de- it goes to the extremes, um, but it's really helpful in terms of just really inspiring us to be uh, committed to the task. Uh, God knows our, our schedule. I mean, I, 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 you know, Jay, my administrative assistant, is here. And I tell Anthony, my co-pastor, we, we joke all the time, Sunday's coming. No matter what happens, you know, five weddings that week, it doesn't matter. Sunday's coming. And some weeks you just don't have as much time. God knows that and and this we shouldn't impose upon ourselves false guilt or legalist extent I have to study 35 hours every week and I haven't done it so cancel all my counseling well, God God wants you to shepherd people and he'll if you're being faithful he is faithful and he will use the time that you have to shepherd your people and to preach well on the other side of that um,
0: I would say guard your time and in- schedule that out and actually because you're ministering to the whole church with your preaching so if you're going to spend you know hours and you're going to compromise your study time to counsel three more people that and if your church is even 50 people or 45 people all of them are being affected by that so i think you have to you do have to prioritize and manage your schedule to the point of at least having a bare minimum block of time that you will not compromise on and i think that would also um call the church to to raise up other counselors to pray and then to, to train others and that would put put it on you because of your limited time it would call the church to feel that need and then to pray and then you start training people up for that when we did a church revitalizing situation where our church was declining and almost dying for the first three years or four years I almost did no counseling almost no no scheduled counseling once our church got healthy enough and I started opening my schedule it just came in like like a floodgate and I had to you know uh, re, re, rethink how we're going to do this to make it work but yeah, it just depends on the season, but I would say guard your sermon time for the, for the sake of the whole flock, because even that, they're going to do a lot of one-anothering, speaking the truth in love to one another, and one of the best things you could do for each member of your church is to lead the church towards health, because they benefit from the whole body. Yeah.
2: And I would add, just, just apply Jethro's advice. Yeah, you do want others to counsel alongside you.
0: Yeah. There's one in the back who has a microphone back there, name and church and city. What's up, Mike? My name's Mike Kim, I'm a pastor at Emmanuel Reform Church in um, Paramount, California. Well, what would you say to the older pastor to say to the younger pastor
1: through expository preaching? And how would you say to the older pastor to the younger pastor through
2: church membership and through church, um, uh, what was it? Not dis- discipline, there you go. So what do I say, have an older pastor say to a younger pastor about expository preaching? Yeah, to yourself when you were younger. Oh, what do I, oh, oh. Um, oh, gosh, well, I, my, my 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 pastor, John MacArthur. I love how he said it, just, uh, he said every time he priest, preached as a young preacher, it was just a little less terrible, um, so it's just a humbling process, preaching is, part part of it is skill, I mean, it's, I mean, Spurgeon would say, like, um, I believe in the Holy Spirit, I believe in the Holy Spirit, so this unction, depending upon the Holy Spirit, but that's a dynamic of it is skill, and you'll, you'll learn to be better with your gift set as you work hard at it. So I always say don't get discouraged. <laughs> Stay at it and work hard, and uh, I still can't do that to this day. I can't listen to my own sermons. It's just, like, it, they're just all bad to me. Um, but I would t- say for a young preacher, please listen to your sermons because your people have to too. <laughs> yeah. I'm
0: not. I mean, I, I've been pastoring since 2002, at least preaching weekly. Uh, I would say aptat, which I said earlier. I didn't do that in the early years. I would say um, sermon reviews, getting feedback from people, and actually taking action from. So, getting feedback from every every sermon, and then just be patient. Just keep keep going. It's a keep long it. long haul. And then the other one was on church discipline and church membership. Right. What was that question, Mike? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Any advice to a younger pastor? What would you say that you didn't know when you were younger about church discipline, leading a church and church membership that you'd say now? Maybe one key light bulb type difference that you wish you got earlier.
1: It depends on where you're coming from. If you're coming from not doing it, then do it. (laughs) If you're coming from doing it too rigorously, then chill out.
0: Yeah. Thanks, Jonathan. That was good. Jeremy. Um, Jeremy from Cornerstone Bible Church in Fullerton. Can
3: you guys talk about application? So how much time do you think about putting application in your sermons? Who do you apply it to? How do you do that in your preparation? Uh,
2: um, my co-pastor is the preaching past. I wish you were here to answer that. Yeah, sure. uh, I, I think when I I probably don't spend as much time thinking about application as most preachers do. Um, I, i'm just so fixated on like just say what the text says and i just want to make sure i've said what the text said and i'm trusting that god is going to because the holy spirit is working as people are hearing it and uh and there's a million applications that are going to happen uh, as you're preaching it but then i think practically i do want to ask the question who am i preaching to and as i'm have the text in front of me and i'm thinking about that i preached about a month ago uh, at a local high school's chapel and I had to do back-to-back messages, one to the high schoolers and one to the junior hires. Same text, totally different. Because I was, so, I was thinking about, who am I talking to? And so I think if you, if you, that, that will help drive how you say things and the type of uh, applications you make if you focus on, I'm preaching this to them. Yeah, um, so
0: one way to define expository preaching, kind of borrowing from Mike Bullmore a little bit, um, the wor- when the words and goal of the text in canonical context, if I'm adding that, in canonical context, um, controls the words and goal of your sermon to the confessional and contemporary context um, of the people you're preaching to. So I would spend a lot of time on application. um I'm constantly, it's hard, you know, you don't do it in sections, like exegesis and then application. You're always thinking so. I'm constantly reading the text for my own uh, rebuke and correction and training in righteousness and teaching for my own soul. And then I'm sharing life with the church so regularly throughout the week that mm-hmm. they're, um, and then praying for them, interacting with them. So, And then I'm doing counseling as well to the other questions. So there's, those things, are, those questions are coming regularly. And then as I pray through the membership directory, I'm praying for certain situations in members' lives and so even that is coming through as I'm thinking about how the text applies to me. And then I have certain categories I think about with um, application to the individual Christian, always how it applies to the church as a whole, as an institution, as a local church, and then how it applies to non-Christians. And then I also uh, try to apply it to children. At least I think of a children application for every, everything just because, you know, what, what's been kind of uh, fun for our church because a lot of times the takeaway, so we do this five minute sharing after, a lot of times the takeaway for members, the adults, is the children's application when I'm preaching to the kids. So I've started to use that to get to the adults uh, intentionally. But anyways, so that's just, uh, yeah. There's another question. Where's, who has the microphones? Raise your hand if you have a microphone. We got one more or two more? Is there, okay. Microphone there. And then one more after that. Over here. Okay. Um,
3: yeah. Joshua Dean uh, from Emmanuel Church, Orange County. Uh, my question um, so I, I the way I've written it is uh, I wanted to ask you guys if you can give some wisdom or life experience when you as a pastor should not preach um, minus like emergencies and like I think for a lot of us, as we endeavor to pastor, we're, we're usually doing it for a long season of time, either every week, um, years, months. So, anything you can add to that, like answer.
0: An occasion where you did chose not to preach—is that correct? Yeah,
3: or just wisdom.
2: Okay. That's a great question. I um, um, I think this is—I forgot how long I was in the the, the pastorate. Just a couple of years, and uh, we pull into the parking lot. Like my wife and I were having a conflict, and she's really crying. And my, my, my wife her eyes get really puffy. I'm like, "Honey, you gotta stop crying. I gotta go in there and preach."
1: <laughs> so, did she did she appreciate that?
2: Huh? Did she did that work? No, I no, it didn't didn't work. So, I, I, there are conflicts that you can't really resolve that you need to resolve, I think uh you may want to, as early as you can call have have if you have a you know other elders with sermons in their back pocket i i can just see if you're yeah something like that i, I haven't had to do that i think we worked it out some, before maybe maybe i didn't work it out now that i'm thinking <laughs> back i just preached anyway
1: um, brother do you mean like at a moment's notice like that or do you mean just as a general practice scheduling sermons
3: not a not as a, as a moment's more I'm not trying to think of it as a logistical thing more of like internal okay. heart thing um,
0: in terms of your heart
3: yeah i think sometimes we yeah. we i don't know i'm just imagining a situation mm. where your heart's not week, the right place. it's been a hard week yeah. um spiritually it's been tough or even like rough tiring time even physically so is that a good time to still persevere and preach through or not i
1: I, I I would say
2: really be transparent with your elders or leaders um that i think this happened more often than not the past few years guys have just hit a wall and needed a sabbatical or needed a break but you just have to be really transparent with your leaders and Preferably, they'll shepherd you through that, your other elders and pastors, that um, either they'll come along and preach or they'll encourage you to push through it.
1: Well, I think, I just think of Paul's words in season and out of season. I think there are times you really need to get up there and preach, even though your heart's not there, your heart's not in it, stuff's happening, you're not feeling the spirit, whatever it is, and demonstrate that it doesn't depend finally on you or your feelings. Mm-hmm. It depends on the power of the word, as, as, as Bobby helped elucidate so well, yeah. okay. right? So uh, I think there are many times when you should preach out of season. That's not to say, though, there aren't also times you need a sabbatical or a break. So that's okay, too. So there's not a one-size-fits-all answer to your question.
0: There's just going to be some of both. Yeah. One more point to that, and then we'll get to the next question. Equipping the saints, we equip the saints for the work of the ministry as pastors and um, our people are ministering, and they're not always in the right heart, or they're not always in the right place. So not only are yeah. we doing that, but sometimes people don't want to come to church on Sunday, right? They had a bad week, and so they want to stay home. They, they don't want that social interaction. And so we want to even model trusting the Lord in doing these things as, they are, as everyone faces it. It's not just a, a preacher who faces these kinds of issues in ministry. We're all yeah. in ministry, yeah. and we all face that. Let's go to the last question here. But th- this
1: better be good because it's the last one. Oh, yeah. right?
0: <laughs> no pressure. Wait, we have saved the best for last. Here it is.
2: Better believe it. Uh, your name,
0: brother, and your church?
2: Jeff, South Bay Christian Alliance in Chula Vista, just south part of San Diego. I'm actually from Christian Missionary Alliance, for those who are aware of that. Hmm. And so our polity is obviously different from Baptist. And for us, uh, our structure is such that the elders and pastors of any given church are the sole authority and decision makers for church discipline and church membership. We had a situation where um, we had to do church discipline on an elder, we had to remove him from eldership, mm-hmm. and our people were not ready to really understand the concepts of church discipline. And mm-hmm. it was played no small part in an inevitable church split. And so the general question is, how do you go about church discipline when your church is not used to practicing church discipline, when there's a situation where you need to do it but your people aren't ready for it.
0: Dr. Lehman.
1: Yeah, I'll talk more about this tomorrow, just membership and discipline in general, but the general answer to your question is you don't. If your church is not ready, if it's going to split the church, 98 times out of 100, you don't. You don't ask a first grader to do algebra, right? You, You you you. You teach him 2nd grade, 3rd grade, 4th grade, all the way up to 8th, ninth grade. Then he can do algebra. So if if bringing a case of discipline to your congregation most of the time is going to result in them firing you or splitting the church, you have more teaching to do. Now, I understand that's going to bring you to situations where you feel conscience-bound that you must. Well... You're not going to be able to keep teaching them after that. So there are times, I think, you just have to deal with it on your own in some form or fashion and not mm. actually bring the church this discipline situation so that in three years you can, right? You're trying to get them there because if you blow the thing up, what's going to happen to the next guy who, can, who, who tries to bring the discipline situation? It's going to be even harder for him, right? So I think, I think we need longer thinking in... Preparing our churches to, to to arrive at a place where they can responsibly follow the direction of the elders in disciplining somebody from the church. Now I can tell you crazy stories where I would say mm, you got to die on that hill. Um, one time a pastor called me and said my head deacon is sleeping with his daughter, and the other deacons are standing with him, not me. Adult daughter what does a wife say? Well, she's annoyed by it, frustrated, but she lives with it. Mm. I said, look, you, you can't remain the pastor of a church where your head deacon is sleeping with his adult daughter in the home with his wife and the other deacons are standing with him, not you. You can't be the pastor of that at church because that's not a church. So you go die on that hill and you get fired. And that's what he did. And he got fired and he went to work in the coal mines, literally. Mm. Um, That's the exception to the rule. I think ordinarily you're going to wait until they can make a responsible, wise decision.
0: I have a church revitalization story I'm happy to tell you after because I do have that actual situation where our church was not ready and I kind of did something kind of in the middle. Happy to talk to you about it after we close in prayer. So we'll see you guys tomorrow here. What a
1: bummer of a story to end (laughs) on. Whoa! Say something encouraging. Come
0: on! I'm. We're gonna send them home with coal mines. I know. I was like, I was like, dang, he went to the coal mines.
2: Wow. Read read the Bible. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Give us the doxology.
0: (laughs) So wait, do I do I tell my story here? What What are you saying, bro? The church displays the gospel. Amen. 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 So hopefully, so tomorrow at 9 a.m. Here are the three questions I still think you, some of you guys should ask tomorrow when we do the next Q&A for Jonathan. Um, are people sinning if they don't join a church? Ordinarily, what, yes. What if uh, the church has no membership? We're in Southern California, Cal- Calvary Chapel and all. Then get it. Um, <laughs> how do you uh, love and serve a perpetual, non-committing church attender? Those are things that you might want to think about. Those are really practical. Did you say something about that? Carefully. Carefully. Okay. There you go. So if you want more on that, you could ask us tomorrow, ask Jonathan after. Good. Uh, we will be, the doors open at seven. There's gonna be snacks and things like that. Make sure you pick up your trash tonight. Please, please, please don't leave any trash around you. Um, we'll be back here at 9 a.m. Sharp, we're gonna start right at 9 a.m. So please come earlier, doors open at seven. Let me close our time in prayer with a brief prayer. Lord Jesus, apart from you, we can do nothing. And so we need you. We want to abide in you and have your words abide in us that we might bear much fruit for your glory. And so we ask that you give us good night, a good night's rest. Help us to continue to reflect on your word and on the things we've thought through. We pray that you develop friendships here in our midst and strengthen our churches. We love you and we pray that you bring us back tomorrow. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a good night. See you tomorrow at 9 a.m. sharp. We'll start at 9 a.m.